thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man who taught me how to love a woman and how to scold a child, <laughs> Mike Van de Bogart. Oh, Bill Brass. <laughs> I knew you would get I that one. I that one right away. Uh, well, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we get going on this very interesting uh, episode we have planned. So... First, I'd just like to give a, a shout out to our new Patreon supporters. So we have Brett Ashley, uh, Tierney Honeyborn, Catherine Youngs, and Signe Wasserman. So Tierney Honeyborn. Pretty cool name. That is a cool name. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Yeah, Joe, thank all of you guys. I don't think we can quite announce it just yet, but we've got some big news about the podcast. Probably. Yeah, let's wait. Yeah. I think we could announce it, but let's wait. Let's make them. It's 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 uh, <laughs> one of the bigger things that's happened. Yeah, and it'll be happening relatively quickly here, a couple months. Yep. So we are very excited, and we will share that with you guys soon. Maybe we'll share it with the Patreon supporters first. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, we'll tell we'll them right it. away. Yeah. Are we doing a Patreon episode tonight? No. Well, let's, let's do a quick recording. We can talk about it. Okay, cool. So, yes, we are. We are. So if you want to know the news early, <laughs> sign up for Patreon. Sign up for Patreon. <laughs> um, you can also uh, call and leave a voicemail if you love us, hate us, uh, we're out at the bar, had a few too many drinks, and want to try and get on the next episode. Just call 208-391-6913. And just remember, anything that you leave in the voicemail, we may use on the air. So just yep, be, you know, be mindful of what you're saying. The last one was fun. Yeah. I still got to pull some clips to just give it a little <laughs> taste to people. Yeah. Uh, and if you, you want to support the show, you can join uh, our Patreon page. You can also join YouTube memberships. We have premium subscriptions on Apple. Uh, they all <clears throat> more or less give the same thing. It's um, additional Patreon-only episodes, free swag. You know, We release these episodes first on Patreon, so um, check that out. You can also support us by buying stuff from our various stores on Facebook or the website. And what else? Am I forgetting anything? I think our hat should be... Coming soon. Okay, good. Supply yeah, chain. Low. Yeah, supply chain. Like they couldn't produce it, and the only ones available were kind of crappy quality. So I didn't want to. Yeah. Order more of the bad ones. So that that's all I have, Joe. That, that's all it was for me. <laughs> all right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. thousands of years, a mountain in Zimbabwe has struck fear in the hearts of the local inhabitants. Visitors to the mountain have reported sudden bouts of confusion or disorientation, strange lights that would follow them, 
and magnetic interference that causes compasses and electronics to malfunction. Join us this week as we travel to Africa to investigate the stories of Mount Nyingani. So we are in Africa, which I love Africa. I'll talk a little bit about it, but we're going to Mount Niangani. Got and it right. We, and we looked that up and practiced it, and I got it wrong several times after practicing it's, it. Uh, full disclosure, the only word we practiced. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is in the Nianga National Park, and it is in Zimbabwe. It's 182 square miles, so that's slightly smaller than Zion National Park uh, for reference. It's on the smaller end of... U.S. national parks of the yep. big ones you yep. you would think of. Uh, so as we said, it's in Zimbabwe in Africa. It was established in 1926. So we're going to do some uh, just some habitation history of the area. So Stone Age artifacts, those are Stone Age that started around 2.6 million years ago and lasted until about 3300 BC. And you know what's crazy with all the stuff that's coming out where they're mm-hmm. like re-aging stuff? Yeah. You know what I learned? They can't car- They can't date rock at all. So we actually have no idea how old rock is. Yeah, don't they uh, typically look for organic matter that's yes. surrounding the rock? Exactly. And date that? Yeah, but yeah. The, the whole idea is if someone dug up a bunch of rock and yeah. brought it somewhere else, like, we just don't know. Yeah, I, I did read that. Yeah, the only way to really carbon date artifacts they find is by, you know, looking at the surrounding material. Yeah. Um, so Interesting, though. It is interesting, but it, it's making me question everything about archaeology because <laughs> you know... Yeah, <laughs> I was not questioning anything about archaeology, and now my mind is blown. I just I love when new discoveries are made, and you know things change. I, you know it's it's great that we're constantly improving what yes. we think we know. Yeah, I love it. All right, so those Stone Age artifacts in the forms of tools and small uh, scenes of rock art and some engravings are scattered throughout the entire eastern highlands, including Nyanga. But the most profound and complex rock art is found at. Diana's vow and painted by hunter gatherers in the late stone age. Uh, in the iron age, that's 1200 BC to 550 BC ruins attributed to the middle Easterners from East Africa around the 11th or 12th century BC can be found throughout the park. Additionally, rough terraces from 200 to 800 AD complex enclosures from 1600 AD and terrace complexes from 1500 to 1700 AD can also be found in the park. So a very rich history of human habitation in this area of Africa going back thousands of years. Yeah, it's like the cradle of life. I think um, who it was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said it perfectly. Is if it really is, you'd expect the most diversity there, and it really is true. When you look at Africa, it's like they have the smartest people, some of the not smartest people, the tallest people, the smallest people. Yeah, It's very, very diverse, and I think people just think of them as Africans. Yeah. But it's incredibly diverse. It's such a huge continent, and it's because people have been there the longest. And one of the most unexplored places on the planet, the Sahara Desert. Where they might have found Atlantis. (laughs) Have you seen this? I've I've read about it. 
Uh, oh. We'll have to do another whole episode on we that. We need to because it's incredibly. We did an episode on Atlantis. Yeah, and it's. I remember, th- like back then, with that data, and I won't go on a too big of a tangent. I promise you're looking at me. Um, where I said, like, oh, it looked like it might have been off the Azores, and that was a really popular opinion. Yeah, this one like matches Plato's description of a city like almost to a T. Yeah. Except for the actual relative size, which mm-hmm. they argue again. It's someone who's pro this, but said. Okay, they got the scale wrong, yeah. but literally everything else is right. Well, the, the fascinating thing I took from that is that I had no idea the Sahara, which is massive, is so unexplored. Yeah. Um, and they, they basically said it's because of the infrastructure in place is just, it, it's not able well, to support large scale. If you're watching the stream, get here. <laughs> yeah. Like, you need planes, you need like supplies for days basically like, convoys kind of like a military convoy with food and fuel and yeah and that doesn't sound hard except when you look at the countries that you're in yeah and the corruption and the things it's and, just and, not a, the infrastructure is not in place to support a massive archaeological yes ex, you know expedition yep but i'm hoping in the you know in the future that maybe some billionaire will take this up as his cause in life and explore the sahara because yes um, I think there's a lot of history there. It used to be a, a rain a rainforest. Yeah. So there's probably tons of ruins there. So it's cool. Anyway, okay. That <laughs> I'm already excited. We're gonna do it. We gotta do that like show next <laughs> with all the information that's coming out. So uh, interesting facts about Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe's former president Robert Gabriel Mugabe is one of the oldest and also the longest serving leaders of the non-royal country in the world. He has served as the leader of Zimbabwe for the past 36 years. He served as Prime Minister of Zimbabwe from 1980 to 1987 and then assumed office as the President of Zimbabwe on the 22nd of December in 1987 and resigned from the office on November 21st, 2017. He was born on February 21st in 1924. So, yeah, he had a run, uh, a a long run, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He he wasn't dethroned like a lot of the leaders in Africa. Uh, Zimbabwe abandoned its currency and is currently using others. This happened after a massive inflation that hit the country in 2008. The country abandoned its currency and has been using the U.S. dollar, the South African rand, and the Botswana pula since April 12, 2009. Allowing currencies such as the U.S. dollar, South African rand, and Botswana pula for use locally in Zimbabwe has helped reduce the inflation below 10% per year. And um, I was telling Mike before the show, I have a trillion Zimbabwe dollars. Yeah, you can buy them on eBay. Yeah, you can buy them on eBay for like 15 bucks. I got like a pack of 10. So I have like 10 (laughs) trillion Zimbabwe dollars. That's how bad their inflation got. Yeah. Uh, the name of the country uh, was derived from fortified trading uh, from the fortified trading hub, Great Zimbabwe, which was built in medieval times and was used by people of the Shona tribe. The people of this tribe constitute about seventy percent of the country's current population. Now, in terms of the land area, Zimbabwe is three times the size of England. We have all heard about mermaids, and most of us believe that they are a myth and just characters in children's animations and stories. But in Zimbabwe, there is a strong belief that mermaids exist. In fact, these mythical mythical creatures are often blamed for unfortunate events such as kidnapping, torture, and murder. Not the kind of mermaids I remember. Yeah. (laughs) Not at all. Little Mermaid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, very interesting. I did not. Yeah, know it's that. not the mermaid just wondering what it's like to run on the land. <laughs> yeah, apparently they're kidnapping, torturing, and murdering people. I wonder how they do that. I don't like know. how they come out of the sea. Uh, maybe they have to give up their voice. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> one of the largest waterfalls in the world, Victoria Falls, is located on the Zambezi River. Uh, 
It is wider than a kilometer and has a height of more than 100 meters. The noise of Victoria Falls can be heard from a distance of 40 kilometers. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen videos of it. Yeah, it's pretty, it looks super it's so cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, 76, 76% of the country's rural households live on less than $1.25 per day. That's wild. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of that when I was up in uh, Tanzania. Yeah, that's not too far. F- where's Well, not too far on a map, in I mean, Africa <laughs> distance. But yeah. That could be like Texas to Wisconsin. Who knows? <laughs> I'd have to do a comparison. Yeah. Uh, customs and beliefs. So Zimbabwean culture is full of traditions and customs that are extremely detailed. Just like most European colonies, Zimbabwe people are Christian. Apart from Christianity, Muari is the most practiced religion, which involves worshiping ancestor as well as spiritual in- intercessions. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe used to print money to fund the currency, current country's budget deficit before early 2009, which led to the hyperinflation. We saw the Reserve Bank print a 100 trillion Zimbabwe dollar note. I didn't know they made a hundred trillion. Yeah, I'm cheap. I got the poor people's just the trillion dollar <laughs> yeah. one, uh, which currently holds the record for the note with the highest number of zeros in recorded history. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta find this. That's afterwards. not a I'll, record you want. Yeah, I'll post pictures of it. I can dig it. I like had it at my desk, and when we moved, I don't know where it went. Yeah. Uh, let's go into the climate. So. The weather and the climate of Nyanga is compared to that of Zimbabwe in general. Zimbabwe enjoys a temperate climate. Uh, the central Highveld Plateau has a temperature up to 82 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius. Lower-lying parks such as Huangge and Zambe- Zambezi National Park are warmer year-round. Manipools, uh, Matsudona, Matusudona <laughs> and Ganerzaho, are even lower, get hot, eh, with temperatures soaring up to 95 degrees or 35 degrees Celsius. I wanna, I'm want i going to do just this one. I won't waste too much time because there's a lot of words that I'm going to get wrong. Yeah. Ga- I'm going to say Ganarezao. Let's go with Ganarezao. Gonarejo. Gonarejo. Gonarejo, and they're probably wrong too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during the wet season from November to March, rains usually fall in the afternoon. I bless the rains in Africa. The dry season from <laughs> April to October is colder. Nights and mornings can be as cold as 5 degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit, but daytime temperatures are still pleasant and sunny. Now in November, this month is very unpredictable, and it might start raining some afternoons. Temperatures between you know 64 degrees Fahrenheit, 18 Celsius in the morning, and 90 in the afternoon, and 32 degrees Celsius in, uh, in the afternoon. Uh, parks in the central Highveld Plateau will be colder, and parks at a lower altitude will be considerably warmer. So, December, January, February, March. These are the wettest months characterized by torrential downpours in the afternoon. Nights and mornings are warm around 64 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 degrees Celsius. Afternoons, 86 Fahrenheit, 30 degrees Celsius, and extremely humid, uh, making it feel much hotter. The dry season spans from April to October, so April and May. Uh, this is the end of the summer. Temperatures are relatively cool, typically around 50 degrees Fahrenheit in the morning and 82 degrees Fahrenheit in the afternoon. That's 10 Celsius, 28 Celsius. And the nighttime temperatures start to drop. By May, the rain is almost gone. So June, July, August, be sure to pack warm winter clothes when you go because morning game drives in open vehicles will be cold. And that is what you will be doing because it's awesome. Yeah. 
the average morning temperature is 6 degrees Celsius or 43 Fahrenheit. Afternoons will be more pleasant, like in the 70s. September and October, heat gradually builds in the peaks in October. Uh, the first rains can be in fall by late October, bringing relief from the dry conditions, and that will get in the 90s. Remember, they're below the equator. They're different yeah, uh, summer and winter than of, us. Uh, you know, us in the northern. Yeah, that'd be northern. so weird to have your winter in our summer. Yeah. Because uh, I don't live there. So the terrain, <laughs> it is located within the breathtakingly scenic forests of the Nyanga National Park in the eastern highlands in southern Africa. Its perpetually mist-covered peak gives it an imposing and mysterious appearance. The landscape is dominated by rolling hills studded with huge, smoothly rounded granite whaleback outcrops which tower over steep gorges and wide valleys. The Pungwe and Hyundai rivers run in the valleys below this escarpment, and the Matarazi Falls and Zimbabwe's highest waterfall drops 162 meters into the... 762. 762 <laughs> meters into the Hundi Valley. Most of its terrain consists of rolling downland, sometimes lightly wooded, lying at altitudes between... One eighteen hundred and twenty five hundred meters, which is sixty five hundred to seventy five hundred feet. The mountain vegetation is largely composed of heathland around the summit plateau and evergreen forests along the wetter eastern slopes and grassland to the wet western side. So, what types of dangers will we expect? Now, animals. So, these are just some of the animals present. Obviously, there's thousands of them in Africa. Buffalo and lion that stray into the area occasionally from Mozambique lowlands. I didn't know buffalo were in Africa. Well, like water buffalo. Yeah, I just, I just, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, you've seen those. I keep thinking of like our Great Plains buffalo, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't know those were in Africa. Uh, well, you, they could be. We'll probably, someone yep. will. I, I uh, don't know what half of these are, but kudu, uh, that's an animal in Africa. <laughs> Reed buck. I think a lot of these are like, like, uh, like a, Clip Springer, you could look it up. I think Clip it's Springer. kind of like an antelope type creature. Let's see, I think I have shearing pulled up on the stream. Reed, I do. Kudu and Reedbuck are also kind of like. A, I just want to see what a Clip Springer is. Oh wow, that is adorable! <laughs> yeah. Look at that thing. <laughs> it's like a. It's like a tiny little deer. It's a deer, but ah, <laughs> look at how tiny it is. Kudu has those crazy straight antlers. If you look one of those up, Kudu, they're huge. That thing is a. Adorable. I want one. Are you sharing the screen? Yeah, I am. Okay. Look at all. Oh, that guy doesn't. He, something's wrong with that guy. <laughs> They're tiny. They're tiny. They have like a alpaca face with a deer head and like pointy antlers, but they're like kind kind of tiny. Kudu. Let's look up a kudu. Oh, I've seen these. Yeah. I, yeah, I've seen those on Safari. Those are cool. Yeah, and they're big. And yeah. Reedbuck, I think, is just like a. Oh, yeah. These are huge. Look at this. Yeah. Wow. All right, let's look at, we're already in it. Let's look at Reedbuck. I I'm assuming that's like a deer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a, it looks like a pronghorn yeah. a little bit. Obviously not, but that's Oh, that's look at the stripes on that. That's so cool. The layers on the horns. Yeah. That's really neat. All right. Sorry everybody. <laughs> uh they have leopards, hyenas, uh blue duker. I'm going to look up that one and samango <laughs> monkeys, blue duiker. I think this is like a little rodent type thing. I looked it up. Oh, yeah. It looks like an anteater nose on a tiny rodent body. Cool. A lot of, a lot of strange animals. Yeah. It's very diverse. Yes. It's cradle of life. Uh, malaria. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Malaria is a disease caused by a parasite mosquito spread the parasite uh, to people when they bite them. Malaria symptoms usually appear within 7 to 30 days, but can take up to one year to develop. Symptoms may include high fever, shaking, chills, flu-like illness. Without treatment, malaria can cause severe illness and death. The CDC recommends that travelers going to Zimbabwe take prescription medication to prevent malaria. Depending on the medicine you take, you will need to start the medicine multiple days before your trip as well as during and after your trip. And that medication makes you feel sick. I actually opted out of it when I went to Tanzania. Oh, really? Because the area we were going to um, didn't have malaria mosquitoes. And I don't know how they know that, Yeah, but I trusted them and I didn't get it, so... That's but good. apparently the the medication can make you feel just as sick as malaria does. Yeah, which uh, is not great when you're sunny yeah, in mountains. Exactly, and that's it's obviously not as bad, but it's like the same symptoms. So yeah. I was like, ah, I'll take, I'll take. I took all the other vaccines, so I think I took yeah. like six out of ten. Yeah, because um, they have a whole gamut for Africa, and then you go to your region. They're like, all right, you really only need these ones. Yeah, there's no point in taking it if it's not a problem in that yeah. region. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the CDC recommends that travelers going to Zimbabwe take prescription. I already read that part. Yep. Typhoid fever. I did take that one. Typhoid fever and paratyphoid fever are similar diseases caused by bacteria. Salmonella typhi bacteria cause typhoid fever. Salmonella pefferia bacteria causes paratyphoid fever. <laughs> People infected with these bacteria can spread them to others. This typically happens when an infected person uses a bathroom and does not wash their hands. Uh, the bacteria can stay on their hands and contaminate everything that the person touches, including food and drinks. And they have uh, like the Middle Eastern bathrooms yeah, where it's just a hole in the floor and maybe a hose on the wall if you're lucky to wash it down if you miss the hole. So something like typhoid fever could probably be eradicated yeah. with just better... Yeah, infrastructure just, clean, just for yeah, in, infrastructure cleanliness. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not their main concern. A lot of their main concern is survival. Yeah. You know, they're burning you know, uh, manure and stuff to cook their food indoors sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, typhoid is not a huge concern. No. Um, I remember even eating the food there. I, I felt more comfortable because of the vaccinations, but they'll have just meat hanging in a window and flies all over it. And that's your food. And yeah. you're hoping they cooked it. Well, and something like typhoid is easily avoided by getting the vaccine. Yes. Or I did get that one, um, you know, just using kind of just hygiene practices that here in the United States are yep pretty common but it's hard there there's yeah. not a lot of running water and infrastructure I, that's what i can tell you and i was in areas that were better yeah. than a lot of the places we went to a couple places a couple villages to meet with people just to experience it you know yeah. go and the, all people are awesome all the people are awesome they're yeah. so nice they love they love spending time with us um but yeah you can tell that it just they need a a little revolution there of infrastructure it, and yeah the sad thing is there's so many of these you know, afflictions that they suffer through are easily fixed with just it's mismanagement. It's just, yeah, I, they, I met a couple, help. I met a couple people there who were there on business at one of the hotels. Yeah. Um, like safari stuff, hotel chain, uh, local, like people who own it locally Yeah, that have to deal with the regulatory environment. And they said it's corruption keeps them from growing. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. There was a, there was a charity I was looking at, um, that, does for malaria something as simple as providing mosquito nets? Oh yeah, to like they saved like millions of people's lives just by giving. Yeah, them and there's this charity I was looking into. Um, I was trying to find some charities to donate to that are around hiking and things, you know, nature, and put them on the website to promote them. And one of them was this charity that just buys mosquito nets and gives them to the real rural areas in Africa, and it's 
a mosquito net costs like a couple dollars. And yeah, at their bulk, it probably isn't even yeah, that much. And it can it prevents so many malaria deaths by yeah. just putting up mosquito nets at night. Yeah. It's um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because during the day, they don't have the issue. Yeah, it's usually, it seems like it's a, a nighttime, like yep. while you're sleeping thing. So we went to the rainforest one day where the risk was a little higher. Yeah. And the guide literally said, we're going during the day, you're fine. Yeah. He said, if you're at night, the risk is high. Interesting. So um, yellow fever is a serious disease caused by the yellow fever virus. Most people infected with yellow fever virus do not get sick or and have only mild symptoms. People who do get sick will start having symptoms, fever, chills, headache, backache, muscle aches. Three to six days after they're infected, about 12% of people who have symptoms go on to develop serious illness, jaundice, bleeding, shock, organ failure, and sometimes death. Get the yellow fever vaccine and take steps to prevent mosquito bites. So I did get that one too. Yeah. That was a big one. Uh, other health concerns include dengue fever, hemor hemorrhagic fever. Uh, these are just a couple more serious illnesses that you can possibly catch. So the U.S. Department of State lists Zimbabwe as a level two of four ex uh, exercise increased caution due to crime. So they just have an, uh, an issue with opportunistic crime, such as pickpocketing, theft, smashing car windows uh, with intent to steal. That's very common. Violent crimes such as assault, carjacking, home invasion also does occur. Criminals often target foreigners and residents suspected of having large sums of cash. So that you, that's in a lot of places. I mean, go to any, uh, sadly, even in most of our major cities I was going to say, US, yeah, the um, south side of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably have a worse time than in Zimbabwe. Uh, general difficulty in hiking Mount Niangani. I almost said Niangani. <laughs> um, I'd say, uh, so I'll read about that peak, and then I'll talk a little bit about when I did Kilimanjaro. So the peak can be reached in about one to three hours by anyone of average fitness. This ascent brings a hiker to an altitude of about 7,200 feet or 2,200 meters, and the remainder is mostly walking across the gentler gradients of the summit plateau. The hazards here are produced by bewildering fast weather changes that can switch from sunny skies to thick fog, and under these conditions, several fatalities have occurred due to hikers losing their way, uh, falling down ravines, uh, and these are uh, there are three ascents that follow paths. The main axis of the mountain is a tourist path from the west. This ascends along the edge of the upper Niamuziwa. 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 I'm going to put this one in. <clears throat> Just because I want to hear translate say it. Niamazwa. Niamazwa. So, uh, Niamazwa River and crosses onto the main plateau north of the summit. From there, head south across the plateau to the summit. So, funny sidebar here is the other case I was thinking about doing um, that a Patreon supporter recommended, and I think we will do this case. It's these two Dutch women that went missing in Peru. And I was, Oh, I've read about them. Yeah. And I was reading the story, the case, and just like this one, there are so many names that we would pronounce perfect improperly. Excellent. I actually we'll get I, all the phone calls. I didn't do it because I didn't feel like trying to figure out all these words, but then just, I picked this case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, the, some of the phone calls we got as a result, make it all worth it. Yes. Cause we're not intentionally bad at it. It's just, we're Midwesterners. Yeah. So we know like Cherokee names. Yeah. Like Menominee. <laughs> yeah. We'll go toe to toe with anybody with Wisconsin names. Yeah. <laughs> They're tough. We have to play those recordings. Yeah. Remember we challenged people we on Facebook? 
Yeah, no, we, we never we never did the recording. Your mom called. I know. We never oh, we played never it. Did we it. never oh. did an episode. I should repost that and challenge people again because I tried getting Charlie Barnes. I was like tagging Charlie Barnes oh, to yeah. call in and do it because he's like the Midwestern dude. Yeah. Um, we should repost it now that we have a bigger following. Go on Facebook and look at all the names and call us and read them off, and, <laughs> and we'll play them. They'll be fun. All right. Uh, the second path that runs up the mountain club of the Zimbabwe hut. This path follows the east side of the northern ridge before joining the tourist path on the main plateau. A third path runs from the uh, Nianzangu, southwest of the mountain, on the old road of the Pungwe River uh, Causeway, also known as the Pungwe Drift. It branches from Nian, Nianzangu Trail and ascends to the base of Tucker's Gap, which has views of the montane rainforest in the southeast of the mountain on a few days when the cloud, when the cloud does not cover the gap. So the mountain can be ascended using the following routes, which do not have paths or markings. I think that's key for when the fog settles in. If you're on yep. a path that has no, it, like as, as we keep saying, there is no infrastructure. When you go to our national parks, there's maps, there's signs, there's everything. You get what you get when you go to Africa. And this park actually is one of the more developed <laughs> national parks, and the government actually is taking steps to make it seem more and more familiar to, to like what a U.S citizen would feel familiar with like having park. rangers or things there well having some paved paths and um some infrastructure in the park um so. okay so yeah the northeast ridges um i'm gonna skip some of these names just because yeah they it doesn't matter northeast ridges uh don't have paths or markings uh and then the via the little nyangani the route um doesn't either. So the above are all walks or scrambles without rock climbing involved. However, caution is advised, especially in unmarked routes, as the weather may change very rapidly. Cloud descent comes in, visibility of less than 160 feet. This may well be the cause of a number of the disappearances on the mountain, such as that two teenage children of the Minister of France. Finance. Finance. Minister <laughs> of Finance. <laughs> now that is no explanation for me saying that. But uh, I'm not going to say the, uh, their names. Tikkendepi Messiah. There we go. So I'm going to get right into the myths surrounding the mountain. Um, this is a, I had never even heard of this place before I found the stories about this mountain. Um, you know, we were familiar with stories about like Mount Shasta in California and Crater Lake. Um, but this mountain is terrifying. I don't think I'd want to go hiking on it ever. Uh, so, I totally would. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a long-held belief by the local um, Manika people that a vindictive spiritual presence resides on Mount Niangani in Zimbabwe. Local folk folklore says the mountain is a sacred place long feared by its people and should be only should only be approached with caution. Several fatalities have occurred on the mountain when visitors have lost their way and fallen down ravines especially when mysterious fog appears out of nowhere. Hikers have disappeared without a trace over many decades. The weather is said to have a malevolent <clears throat> mind of its own on the mountain with gusts of wind striking at the most inopportune times. There are, <clears throat> there are also numerous, numerous reports of visitors becoming dazed, confused, uh, for no apparent reason, with even experienced hikers familiar with the area at times becoming hopelessly lost as well as sudden bouts of profound dizziness or nausea that pass as abruptly as they came on. Other various weirdness, um, such as unidentifiable sounds, strange lights, 
animals that seem to watch and follow hikers around, as well as trees that are twisted into the visage of human faces and talk or whisper or streams that suddenly turn to blood red. So terrifying. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, look at that. That is a plateau mountain. Yeah. Like that's not a there's no peak. It's there's just a high part of a plateau. Yeah. Um, so it is also said that compasses and electrical equipment will sometimes go haywire or break down entirely, and that f- sometimes photos taken here will not develop properly. Locals say uh, when you come across a strange colorful snake, a smoldering a smoldering clay pot with no fire. Or a brick of gold, it's best to pretend you have not seen anything and move on. For this reason, visitors to the mountain are encouraged to seek permission from elders living around the area before venturing onto it. Although some state uh, this is an excuse for payments to be made for so-called spirit protection to Uh dubious individuals who claim they have supernatural powers. Uh, But like Mount Shasta or Crater Lake in the United States, Mount Niangani seems to be a place of mystery that can catch... Um, the unprepared visitor. Elders at local villages say visitors should not wear red clothing when visiting Mount Niangani, as this is said to greatly upset the spirits. For the same reason, locals also advise hikers that they should refrain from relieving themselves on the mountain, avoid <laughs> profanity, and abstain from any sort of sexual activity. Even the area surrounding the mountain is saturated with spooky uh, tales from magical locations to strange beasts for instance, two dams that were under construction in an area called Osborne and Gokwi were reportedly plagued with setbacks and troubles due to what the locals claimed was a work of mermaids angered by the desecration of their river. In addition... It's just the guy who did it. It's like, it was clearly mermaids. <laughs> yes. Set of shoddy <laughs> construction work. Yeah. Um, in addition, numerous freak construction ac- accidents, equipment malfunctions, and foul weather... Uh, dogging the workers at every turn, there were purportedly some construction workers who went missing without a trace, never to be found. Things got so tense with the deeply frightened crews, many of whom said they had seen the creatures themselves, that a large portion of the workers refused to go back to work until tribal elders came in to perform special rituals to appease the rampaging mermaids. So, uh, pretty wild folklore about this mountain. And... There's also a very long history of people disappearing uh, without a trace on this mountain. So I'm going to go through some of the, the, the disappearances. And at the end, we actually have um, a case of somebody who went missing and then was found. And you got to hear his, his tale of what happened. It's, it's bizarre. So our first... Uh, story starts back in the 1980s so in the 1980s a senior government official went missing on the mountain while out on an excursion with two companions the group was missing for a total of four days during which time search operations were unable to find any trace of them during this time the group later claimed that they had wandered aimlessly in a confused state and that they did not feel tired dehydrated or hungry at all the entire time they also reported that they had seen searchers looking for them, but that they themselves had seemed to be invisible, neither seen nor heard when they called out to uh, the rescuers. It is, said, uh, it is said that it was only when tribal leaders in the area made a desperate blood sacrifice to the mountain spirits that the, the missing official 
and his companions were miraculously found again. And although they had been gone for four days, they themselves believed they had only been gone a few hours. It was claimed at, at the time that they had been stuck in a sort of intermediary realm between realities, held there by the spirits of the mountain until they had been appeased, imprisoned in a kind of state of suspension or limbo, limbo called Chimadiza by the natives. So that's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a suspended reality for four days. Yeah. Um, this is a very short short case, but Joe kind of touched on this. In 1981, the daughters of Tikadembi uh, Messiah went missing. The, the two young daughters, they were two young daughters of the former Zimbabwe government official. They di- disappeared on the mountain in 1981. Despite a huge search using ground teams and helicopters, they were never found. In 1986, Robert Eckhurst... Uh, he was an eight-year-old visitor on a school trip. A trip vanished on the mountain. He wandered off from the rest of the group on a school field trip and was never seen again. Robert's teacher was reported to be so upset that he had lost a child under his care that he ended up committing suicide the following year. So Jeez. sad story. Um, this is a much more recent disappearance. And I, apparently this was actually kind of a big international story that I don't ever remember hearing about. But on January 4th of 2014, uh, Zayed Dada, 31, his wife and another couple tr- uh, tried to climb Mount Nyangani. Uh, but sorry, my bad. But when they uh, got halfway up, the woman and the other man gave up while uh, Mr. Dada went on by himself. So. Um, Dada is a Zimbabwe resident of Asian uh, origin. Zimbabwe Parks and Wildlife Management Authority spokesperson Caroline Caroline, uh, Moyo said more than 60 people, including rangers and relatives of the missing tourists, were involved in the search. The helicopter that was dispatched to assist the search was forced to land after high winds. Dada's friends came from as far as Australia, South Africa, Botswana, and the United Kingdom to assist the park rangers, police, and soldiers in locating him. The local Indian community and a helicopter were hired to assist in the search. According to park officials, he was spotted by other hikers who were on their way down while walking along the stream on the mountain, and he was never seen again. They talked to him, and he indicated that he was all right, and that would be the last time anyone saw him. So, very recent case. Um, we have an even more recent incident on the mountain from 2020. So uh, April 10th, 2020, uh, Shingrari Matswira. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure you got that perfect. Yeah. 35 <laughs> age, uh, left home with his eight-year-old uh, twin sons and his seven-year-old nephew. They had gone to Mount Niangani to recover some lost cattle. The boys had accompanied their father but lost their way after heavy rains suddenly hit the mountain. In the morning, the father made it back to the village and his wife informed the other villagers that her sons and their cousin had not returned home. A search party was dispatched to Combe Mountain. The villagers managed to find the group uh, and the boys uh, were all unconscious and suffering from hypothermia. They were ferried to a local hospital, but uh, one of the sons was pronounced dead on admission while his twin brother died at around 6 a.m., on April 10th. 
That's really sad. Um, Zimbabwe Park and Wildlife Management Authority public relations officer said, we have not been able to physically go to the area and talk to the family to find out what really transpired. But findings show that the father and his sons went to look for their cattle in the national park, but while they were on the mountain, the weather changed and they lost their way. He goes on to say, it is unfortunate the villagers sometimes drive their cattle into the national park and they wander up the mountain. We always discourage this, not only because it can lead to such incidents where we lose human life, but also can spread diseases. So after the incident on the mountain, um, officials said, while we were on the mountain, there was a hailstorm and we tried to go, oh no, this is the father. So after the incident, the father made a comment. Um, he said, while we were on the mountain, there was a hailstorm and we tried to go down, but we couldn't go far because it suddenly became misty and we could not see anything. So we waited for the mist to clear so that we could go back home. We could not move until the next morning, but by then the children could not walk due to the cold. So I had to go and look for help, leaving them there since I could not carry them on my own. So another sad story. I think when we get into theories, this will play into kind of one of the more down-to-earth theories. We've got a lot of deep-end theories for this. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm just like, I've been like rotating around this mountain. Yeah. And there's got to be something unique to it because it doesn't look too intense yeah at all like they said one to two hours i mean here's the parking lot you can see most of the trail going up here yeah. now when you get up here it kind of blends in and you have this giant plateau but i'm not seeing major crevasses i'm not seeing anything that would say this is dangerous more like oops i walked all the way over here yeah and i need to go back that way yeah i mean when we get into theories i think <sighs> Well, yeah, I'm not seeing it, so I'm very yeah. curious. I think a lot of it has to do with weather, but it it has to be, yeah, because on a clear day, you're not getting lost on here. So, one of the more famous incidents on this mountain actually happened in November of 2014, and the gentleman that went missing actually was found alive. His name was Thomas Gaze uh, Gazeford. He was a second year human science student. Um, who chose to come to Zimbabwe after winning the Wallace Watson Award, which encourages and assists students to undertake expeditions or travels of cha a challenging nature in a mountainous or remote area. Oh, Sounds yeah, the WWA. Cool. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Like, wow, you know <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so he decided to climb to the summit of Mount Niangani as part of the award's objective to gain a greater ability and self-confidence in handling physical and mental adversity and a better appreciation of other cultures and the ways of life. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. He picked a mountain that takes an hour to summit. Oh, a one to three. <laughs> oh, okay. If he's a desk jockey, sure, but it's for, like, hiking. That is nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably was already in the area. Okay. Uh, so. All right. All right. But, I, I, you know what? I'm going to back up. I should not poop on people. You said one to three, but I mean, if you read about the history of the mountain. Okay, no, I'm, I'm backing up. That was a yeah. mean comment. <laughs> and sure he, enough, he went missing. He, he won an award. <laughs> he won an award. I just, like, if, if I won an award for doing something super challenging, it would be like Kilimanjaro, which took four or six days. You're supposed yeah. to do it in 12, and a guy died while I was on the summit. Yeah. Like, that was challenging. Well, but, maybe he already had done Kilimanjaro. Or maybe... This is his first time mountain climbing. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw my criticism because that was mean. <laughs> yeah. He won an award. He deserves it. So 
I'm sorry. So, go on. I, I, as I was saying, I was like, nah, this is kind we'll of cut a, it out a of jerk. There. We'll nah, cut it nah, out. Nah, leave it. Not leave joking it. when I say that. I know. I'm not cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you look bad. Everyone's like me. Um, so he encountered heavy fog on his hike down from the summit around 3 p.m. and then lost his way um, down the mountain. And so he set up a camp and pitched his tent. Then uh, the area was hit with heavy rain and he tried to sleep while wild animals started wandering around his camp. Tom went on to say, I had heard lots of strange stories about the mountain, but I never believed them. I climbed to the summit of the mountain. It was very difficult, but I ended up to, um, but I endured up to the top. I was caught in a mist. As soon as I reached there, I started getting uncomfortable and scared after heavy rain started falling. The fog engulfed the whole place. I was, and surprisingly, uh, it was in the afternoon around 3 p.m. I could not see anything. I was confused. I lost my way down, pitched a tent. I prayed and slept there for 10 hours. Several scary snakes approached me. I never disturbed them. They came in numbers, but I stood still. Various animals frequented the place, and I could see shining red eyes of several animals staring at me. My character was tested. I remained steadfast. I woke up the following morning after the fog had cleared. I climbed down before I proceeded to Leopard Rock on foot. Gaysford said before he climbed up the mountain, villagers in the surrounding areas of Nyanga had warned him against the idea since uh, Zayed Dada had disappeared after embarking on a similar hike. Concerned villagers had also advised him about other strange and unusual things that took place in the past. Tom said, I tried to put that um, at the back of my mind. I never consulted traditional leaders before I embarked on my expedition, but I later realized that I should have done, I should have done that. I'm happy to be alive. There is more to experience. I have learned a lot about Zimbabwe and about myself. Good thing I took it back. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the most challenging thing about this area is the weather. And I actually, before we get into theories, I just have a couple quotes from people that live. His in, smart move is probably not continuing to walk. Yeah. Setting up camp and just waiting it out. Yeah. So um, this first comment comes from an individual who's lived there. They wrote... I lived there. I, I lived there for two years in Nyanga, and at the time, um, at that time, three small children disappeared. It is a beautiful place, but also scary, special when weather suddenly changed. I did walk a short distance up the mountain, but returned as there is a kind of power, indeed supernatural force. I was alone, and I suddenly felt uncomfortable. Also near the Montclair, Montclair and cottages, people said that they were haunted. Uh, the old chiefs should write down their knowledge before it is gone. So interesting comment about the area. Um, here's an, I'll just read one more. Um, I was born and grew up in Nyanga, uh, Troutbeck area, which lies in the Nyangani mountain region. The disappearance of people in the mountains is a mystery. Those who somehow survive and reunite with their families could hardly remember any experience they go through during the period they went missing. They tell absolutely nothing like someone like someone coming off a trance. It's an ancient norm that has been happening ever since. I agree there are factors that might aid in the disappearance like weather and terrain, but at least bodies should be found when search parties engage. In simple words... My answer is there's probably a mysterious and supernatural force that causes all of this. The traditional local chiefs understand much, much things regarding these mysteries. They aided in a few that were found after missing. At first, I thought it was all cult syndicate, 
But I later realized that truly there is something mysterious about that place. So every anyone that lives around there is fully on board the supernatural train with yeah, this mountain. It sounds like it. So um I will jump right into theories. And we're gonna start yes. with deep end. So we're starting with the deep end? Starting with the deep end. Right on, let's do it. And then we'll move into what probably is really right. I love the causing deep end. the disappearances. So big fan of the deep end. Obviously, if you've been listening through the whole um, episode, something supernatural is going on if, you know, when you talk to a local. So clearly um, the major theory of the locals is it's angry, wandering spirits, dark magic and forbidding zones between dimensions, trapping souls. So tribal elders have long warned that it is absolutely necessary to follow the rules of the mountain and to not anger the many roaming spirits that internally guard it. According to the locals, missing people are being held captive by the spirits of the mountain and that if only they had followed the etiquette, they would have been fine. They also claim that the only possibility of bringing these lost people back is through intense rituals to ask these spirits for forgiveness, and they have urged park officials to cooperate with enacting guidelines to follow the proper sacred methods <laughs> and rituals claiming the spirits of the mountain calming the spirits of the mountain keep going no that's it okay <laughs> <laughs> no i have one more off the deep end all right um so this theory is that there is a subterranean alien base under the mountain Ooh. and this is totally deep end this is even I don't know if this is less believable than angry spirits, but it's up there on that level. So (laughs) according to remote remote viewing documentation released by the CIA, this is one of four subterranean alien bases. Um, In 1973, a remote viewer verified these four bases. (laughs) 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 Um, So... They didn't send to the government because they found it so ludicrous um, and they dropped the subject. But then in 1986, a completely different team of remote viewers verified the bases without being told anything. Um, so two separate teams from remote viewing like claim claim they found the exact same location. And I mean, remote viewing is very, I mean, probably not real. We're in the deep end. So we're we're in the deep end. They, they, they had two so, separate groups of remote viewing sessions that found the same base, same location. A one of four in the world. One of four. Is under this mountain. And this is according to, I guess, top secret documentation released by the CIA that I was not able to find. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, well, they did just kill Kennedy, we found that's out. That's true. In conclusion, uh, they theorized that it it's part of an ancient network of bases of some sort that have no known function. Uh, or its function will be turned on in the future. So, ooh. <laughs> so we've got. Uh, I feel like we're coming to fever pitch globally anyway. Right. Maybe that will be. So we've got you know catalyst paranormal. That's your one deep end, and deep end number two is an alien base, and they maybe they're snatching people when they go hiking. Um, bringing it back down to reality, though, this is what I think is really going on. Okay, so. The distinct terrain of the mountain may actually be what's causing these disappearances. Um, this is a place of sharp, spectacular weather changes and unusually thick mist buildup, which can endanger and confuse hikers. 
It can also um, conspire with the the tricky terrain that features sharp drops, craggy, rocky footing, sudden steep gorges, and trails that become quickly overgrown uh, and faint from the relentless encroachment of the forest because of the constant rainfall. All these factors can spell trouble for even the most experienced hiker, and the slightest mishap can leave someone stranded or injured in foggy conditions, unable to find their way out, or worse, falling off a cliff. And like Joe mentioned, the weather gets cold at night, so Mm -hmm. that doesn't help. Uh, the conditions here can be so dangerous that there have been strong pushes for new safety rules that and precautions for the many visitors that come to this um, pretty cool mountain. Uh, currently, hikers wishing to explore the mountain are required to pay a $5 an hour fee to be accompanied by an experienced guide. They must fully charge their cell phones before beginning their trek, and they must be equipped with a flashlight with fresh batteries. Um, for its part, the government has been busy setting up new cell phone and radio towers in the vicinity of the mountain and is regularly clearing and marking the main and safe trails with plans to construct trails that are fully paved. So, Oh, wow. The government, I think, knows there's enough of a problem here. And it, this obviously is a popular mountain to hike. Yeah. And I think the weather, I think this is a, just a unique location. If you zoom out a little, I don't know what would cause this kind of weather, but must just be the location in Africa yeah, if, where... Well, and you can see, look at how green it is on this side in the yeah. valley. So it's... Probably coming up that ridge yeah, real quick and dumping a lot of the moisture, but then you get just the cloud cover on the top. Yeah. Like, if it was a pointed mountain, maybe it wouldn't be as bad. Yeah. But, I like, I'm with you on the weather, and I'm not seeing these drop-offs unless they're, like, going to here because they can't see and then stepping off on the yeah. edges. But this is such a large area. I mean, and it's even tough right to here, tell from satellite Even photos. here, yeah, it's tough to tell. That's... You know, but it looks like a scree field. Yeah. So, like, these shadow areas, sure. It's got to be wandering off, getting lost, and then they just don't have the resources to search. That would be my guess because they said they're not even finding the bodies. Yeah. And if we're staying in reality here, do they just not have the resources to look? Well, and there's a lot of predation with, I mean, there's a lot of animals As around say, here, too. I so. wonder if, yeah, they're just getting scooped um, up real fast so there isn't a chance to find a body. But I, I think uh, a movie should be made about this mountain. That'd be a, like a horror movie. Yeah, I think it would be pretty cool. You could do another X Files movie. <laughs> yeah, about the base but, uh, underneath. I think. Uh, yeah, Let's zoom out and see if there's like any ports of entry for the base that we can see or pick up from. I don't a know. Different altitude. It's probably flat because it's probably like just a hangar cover and like it it opens up. You gotta think bigger. Like this entire this entire, <laughs> this entire thing maybe was an entry that went down on an angle. <laughs> Um, but yeah, either way, uh, I apologize for our, our butchering of the names, but I think the story itself is really interesting. I'd never heard of this place before. I super interesting. No idea it existed. Um, it, that is right up there with any paranormal stuff going on in the U S no, I I agree. Mount Shasta is kind of known in, in crater Lake are kind of known as the this seems more mysterious because it's in an undeveloped part of the world. Yeah. Like, there's less um, infrastructure there to explain it away. So, like, when they start putting roads and paths, I wonder if a lot of it will just drop off. Yeah. Like, you won't have as many disappearances. Because or you'll have even more because more people are going to do it. Well, 
<laughs> we'll see. I think this will, we'll have to follow up on that one. Do you, for sure. your theory, you think it's weather and terrain? I think it's weather and not terrain. Not aliens. Not aliens, no. Not. I think it's weather and terrain. Um, now, with the electromagnetic stuff and the interference, that can happen. Do we know what type of like rock is there? Is it like heavy iron content? Well, they said granite. I, I don't, does that I don't affect? I have no clue. What's the plural for compasses? Compi? Compi? <laughs> Probably not. I uh, uh, this is so far out of my wheelhouse. I I don't even want to speculate. Let's um, see. Can compass be thrown off by its surroundings? Well, <laughs> there are areas where there are magnetic anomalies. Can granite be magnetic? It cannot, but it can contain one or more of minerals that are magnetic, and if present, the minerals would make up a particular sample. So, so there. So what you're saying is there could be a natural reasonable explanation I, I'm wondering, for why. Like, yeah, if I go to boundary waters in certain areas, there's so much iron. If yeah. you're in certain areas, your compass doesn't work right. It doesn't necessarily like spin or go crazy, yeah. but it doesn't point to true north because like, I always bring maps and compasses along with the cell phone. Yeah, And sometimes the compass is you know, 15 minutes off mm-hmm. in one direction and not huge enough to get lost, but enough where it's like, okay, that's not magnetic north. That's getting interference from all of the concentration of iron around here. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering if there's something similar there um, that has that in there. So could be. Yeah. I mean, um, we we've talked about other episodes in the like the Alaska Triangle and where there could be some kind of disturbance in the Earth's magnetic field that causes you know people's compasses to malfunction. Yeah. Um, the vortices. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, I always say visceral vortices, but vertical it's vertical or uh, it's no, vi- uh, I thought it was, it's another V word. Yeah. Well, it'll come to me <laughs> either way. I think, uh, yeah, I think in this case, weather is probably the biggest factor. I think that's in the weather. disappearances. Um, whenever v- you're vital vortices, vortices, vital. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna whenever, go. whenever you're hiking in the mountains, fog is generally not a good thing. Uh, you know, not having visibility when you're up at altitude is is bad usually. Yeah. Vile vortices. Vile vortices. That's what it is. But uh, I was listening to you, but I was just stuck in no, my head. No, I was kind of rambling. I had to figure it out. Um, yeah, so. I, I think weather. I think yeah. and from based on that one eyewitness where the guy didn't fully go missing, Yep. Um, if stuff's happening that quick and you don't have – if, if if it truly is a one to three hour hike, you're not going to be bringing overnight stuff. If you get caught in that type of rain, yeah, uh, wander off somewhere else, and now it's nightfall, hypothermia, all the things we always talk about can set in. You'll die pretty dang quick. Yeah. So uh, that's my guess is weather in weather occurrences they get lost. They're soaking wet. Now it's nighttime. You know, thirty degree drop in temperature. Yeah, it doesn't explain why a lot of people that are found have kind of their memories wiped of the disappearance it does because uh if you're in a hypothermic state you are causes memory yeah, loss. delirious um you're Could, making decisions while you're hearing sounds what's what's that lights. other word when you're not thinking right mike what is it i i don't know what is it Dis- come on disoriented yes 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 Got it right. <laughs> the first time in the history of the podcast to think about it yeah they'll get disorientated and <laughs> and, and not make it out alive yeah um no, I, I, I think weather. I yeah. think it's all weather, and then you have a population of people who have a lot of cultural recognition with 
more mysterious things. So yeah. it's, I mean, they blame mermaids for murder and kidnapping. So it doesn't, it makes sense that if people are going missing in the mountain, there's some sort of aspect like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, my vote's entirely on weather. I've changed my mind. I would like to hike this someday. I, I totally want to hike it. I think it'd it. be cool. If, if, as long as we're prepared for the weather, yeah, then, then we can go there. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing Locations Unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube where you can find videos of each episode. So when you hear us talking about the cute little Dooku animal, uh, you can go see it on the video. Uh, if you would like to support the show monetarily, as we said, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool swag. Additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account, uh, to our YouTube subscription account, and our Apple subscription account, where you will also have access to special events and additional shows for paid customers only. Lastly, when you're enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>